We're on week number two of a new teaching series called Climb. Everybody say Climb. And we're basically taking a close look at the Sermon on the Mount. And last week I mentioned that Jesus went up that hill and his disciples followed him. And uh, I believe that it wasn't as much about finding a nice scenic view to teach from, to, to have class, as much as it was that when Jesus went up that hill, that he was, he was doing something physical that he was hoping would translate to the people in the spiritual, something that he was after in the spiritual. In fact, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew 5, but then go like we did last week. I cannot find Matthew 5. There it is. And then go ahead and turn to Psalm 24, too, because we're in and out of that. So Matthew 5 and then Psalm 24. And I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 24 again. Remember what I said. Jesus was modeling something in the physical that he was after in the spiritual. Uh, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then it goes on in verse 4 to say, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to idols and who doesn't swear um, by what is false, uh, false. And if you were here, you will remember that we said that David is describing a particular journey. And the destination that he's talking about is essentially the presence of God, the place where we experience, and we talked about uh, experiencing the wonder of who he is. We talked about experiencing in his presence the wonder of what he gives. And we kind of stopped short because we have a very limited time on Sunday mornings. But this morning, I want to look at something very specific that God gives us whenever we commit to make that climb to the holy hill of the Lord. When we take the time to endure the hardship and, uh, and discipline ourselves to push through the pain of not rewarding our flesh, but by living, walking, pursuing the things of the Spirit. So um, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may make it to the place where his glory dwells. Now go back to Matthew 5. I want to look at something very specific this week. So you see that it says that he climbed the hill, or he walked up the hill, that the disciples followed him there. And it goes on to say that he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are. Okay, so the first thing that pops out of his mouth is blessed are. Are. Of all the things that he could have opened that the greatest sermon that ever was with, he says, blessed are. Not, uh, you know, welcome. <laughs> you know, not, hey, everybody, I'm glad that you're here. Everybody, everybody, like I do, you know what I mean? Find a seat. Everybody spread out. Uh, I'm God. I will be your, <laughs> I will be your keynote speaker for today. Uh, during intermission, we're going to have lunch. Make yourselves comfortable. We got five loaves, two fish. Uh, don't worry, there'll be enough, you know. <laughs> It's not like that. He says, he sits down and he starts the greatest sermon ever given with blessed are. Blessed are. In fact, he begins by saying blessed are nine times. And to understand, we we talked about how um, there's gifts that come from him. We talked about that last week. To understand the greatest uh, gift that God gives, the one that uh, all other gifts really flow out of, you got to understand the first word he opens with, and that is blessed or blessed. Everybody say blessed. We rarely say it that way. We say blessed, but you could also say blessed. And I want to look at the word really quick. Most of us have heard some sort of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount uh, from church, Sunday school, or whatever. And many of you may have heard the, the word blessed described as meaning, oh, how happy. And that is kind of a literal translation. It means, oh, how happy. Um, this past week when I was studying and reading and praying, I kind of stumbled over in a commentary um, another definition of the word, and that is happiest. 
you know? So happiest are they that do this or those that do this. And I thought about this week, and I just want to be honest, and I think you would agree with me. The truth is, is that anyone, anyone can be happy, whether they serve God or not. Anyone can be happy. Someone can love their life and not even know God. It's just the truth. I mean, we see it all around us. They can be, uh, they can be happy and not even know God. Um, when I was thinking about that truth, something that popped into my head was this. You guys remember who Sinbad was? Sinbad was a, um, a comedian, and he was very funny, very clean. He has a, he has a thing called um, Afros and Bell Bottoms. In fact, we watched it one Wednesday night as an icebreaker. Uh, anyway, it was funny. But there's this one part, he's saying all this stuff, and he's talking about um, um, losing weight and all this stuff, and he says, give me a happy meal, because I'm happy. You know, and if you know him, he's got this goofy face, and he's all kind of awkward, you know. But I thought, you know what? That's true. We've got happy meals. People can be happy and not even have not even have God in their life. It would be hard to say that. We might be pious to think otherwise, but it's true. People can be happy and not even have God. But listen, happiness is easily 95% based on things that are going on in life. Good job? Check. Uh, Good marriage? Check. Kids are being good? Check. Are you in school? Good grades? Check. You got your boyfriend finally? Check. You got your girlfriend finally? Check. I am happy. Give me a happy meal because I'm happy. You know, but again, there's 95 percent. The list goes on and on and on and on. But God's goal for his his people. And, and I say this this way because of the series that we're in. God's goal for his people, the people of his presence is not for us to be happy. He desires for us to be the happiest. You guys hear what I'm saying? Not that we're just happy like this guy that doesn't know God. We are happiest because we know God. And but let me shift here because it's, that's not even his ultimate goal. What he has in mind for us goes far beyond even being the happiest uh, people on earth. And if you want to turn there, you can. 1 Timothy 1, chapter 11. It's going to be up on the screen. You know, Paul writes these letters to Timothy. And in the very first one, in fact, the first chapter of the first one, he's talking, he's kind of giving his introductions. He's saying these things. And at one point he says, uh, he talks about how according to the glorious gospel, of the blessed God, or the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. So you read that, and you just say, my goodness, Paul just told Timothy that God is blessed, that God himself is blessed. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which, which, uh, with which I have been entrusted. So the word blessed um, is even attributed to God. God is blessed. And if you can't conjure up any more of a definition or a picture of being blessed than slamming down a happy meal, <laughs> then what, what's your view of God? How do you make sense of that as it relates to God? What kind of image does that give us of God? Surely God is more than just happy. You know what I mean? It's like you're trying to witness to someone, you're trying to convert them. Hey, you know, I just really want to encourage you to convert from your religion or, or whatever. I want you to become a Christian. Why would I want to become a Christian? Listen, my God is happier than your God. <laughs> you know, like that's really going to, you know what I mean? It's so happy, so very happy. You know what I mean? It's like that's really what it, no. You have to have an understanding of, of it's more than just the happiest God. It's more than just people that are happier than other people. There's it's way more than that. And see, Timothy as he's hearing, as he's reading this word from Paul, he would have interpreted this word way different than just 
He's the happiest God. Kind of like we, the way that we read and we interpret things, you have to take things in, in, uh, into context. You know, you can't just, you know, have just a single definition of this word, and that's what that word means right there. You kind of have to interpret it based upon content, based upon context. It's kind of like the whole I love pizza thing, you know, just to clarify. When we say we love pizza, what we're not saying is, man, I love pizza, you know, and we're going to make out with pizza or something. That's not, that's not what we're saying. So it's all about context. And if he wasn't, if he wasn't understanding context and content, Timothy might have just said, oh, cool, a happy God. He's the happiest of all, happier than any of those other gods. But that's not what's going on. In the context of what Paul was saying, based upon the content, and not just, I mean, even the content, the substance of who Paul is. The guy loves God. The guy had had a visitation by God. He was sold out. He had been beaten and this and that and the other for God. So he's a worthy uh, person to hear from. So the content, the substance of who he is, and then obviously the content of what he is about to say was going to stand out a little differently than just a literal definition of the word blessed. Timothy understood that Paul meant a blessedness that comes from God's pure character. A blessedness that comes from the mind and the heart of God that sees um, sin as the mother of all malice, as the mother of all misery. He's understanding that he's, he's hearing that word blessed or happy. It's not just happy, happy, so very happy. He's, he understands that he's talking about God who has a heart uh, that understands that holiness. God understands that holiness is like the cure for everything that is hurting, for everything that is disappointing, for everything that is troubling, for everything that is a struggle. Um, God is bigger. He's better. He is um, far more than just happy. He is the essence of how to get through that stuff. And so the disciples would have been clued into the very thing. They would have been listening based upon content, based upon con, uh, context, and listening with very different ears than someone that just didn't, you know, I'm just going to take it literally. He really wants to marry pizza. They're like, oh. So as soon as he says that word for blessedness, he, they understand, oh, okay, he's coming from a different angle here. He's not just talking about um, happiness that comes from natural means based upon circumstances. He's talking about a supernatural God that can bring a happiness even when circumstances are out of order, out of line, crazy. And their minds may have even went to, because mine did, to Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. And it's going to be on the screen. In fact, I would love for us to read this together. I just I want us to read these words. I want the body to say these words together. This is Psalm 16. So would you guys read this with me? Is that cool? You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And we talked about some similar verses that are saying similar things uh, last week. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence, which last week we talked about, again, being up that hill, standing in the place where his glory dwells, the holy hill of the Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy. And then he goes on to say, um, in your right hand, there are pleasures. Remember last week? We talked about the benefits of knowing God, things that come, the pleasures of knowing him. There are gifts, there are benefits to know him. And in his presence is the fullness of joy or the abundance of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures, benefits to knowing you. And so I want you to write this down because this is the first thing I want you to get this morning. Blessedness, if you're trying to figure out ultimately what is the content 
What is the context? What is he really saying here? He's not just saying, I want you to be happier than other people that don't know God. He's saying, I want you to experience blessedness. And part of blessedness is the abundance of joy. Okay, write that. Blessedness is the abundance of joy. It's a gift that God gives those who climb his hill. I have set in my mind, I've set in my heart, I will climb the holy hill of the Lord. And as soon as I put that on my docket, as soon as I put that on my schedule, and that is my pursuit, there is a, an abundant joy. It doesn't even have to do completely without, with reaching the top and being perfect. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? It's not about being perfect. Okay, it's about pursuit. As soon as I set my mind on, I am going to pursue the Lord. I'm going to climb the holy hill of the Lord, ascend the holy hill of the Lord. All of a sudden, there's this blessedness that comes in the form of abundant joy. You with me? And with that joy comes strength. Most of us are familiar with that old Sunday school song. The joy of the Lord is my Come on, people. You don't remember that one? The joy of the Lord. You know, remember we used to get into it, and I'm sure there's signs that go with it. But listen, that, that is Scripture, and that comes out of Nehemiah chapter 8. I don't know if you know much about the story of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah had been given a burden by God. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was desolate. And God had given him a vision to go back and to rebuild the walls. And it wasn't just about rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the city. It was about reestablishing worship. The sacrificial system, all the things that, that Israel was about but wasn't able to partake in because their city was destroyed. And essentially their whole culture was robbed from them. And so he had a burden to go back and he, he called people. He said, here's the vision. We're going to rebuild this thing. We're going to reestablish worship of our God. He sets people on the wall here, here, and here. You know, it says at some point that, that people were coming against them. So Nehemiah said, well, you have, a, you have a mortar trough in one hand and a sword in the other. We're going to get this thing done. You know, and I was thinking about how Nehemiah is, is only doing what God burdened him to do, put on his heart to do. And he's working hard. Others are with him. He's got vision. People are following that vision. But listen, he does face opposition. In the midst of that, if you've ever read Nehemiah, Sanballat and those other guys are coming against him and accusing him of this and trying to kill them that. That's why they got a trough in one hand, a sword in the other hand. It was not easy. People that didn't even know how to do brick. So one of, one of the guys was a perfume maker. <laughs> says he makes perfume. I don't know, but he's over there doing brick. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, but opposition came. But rather than allow the opposition to discourage him, he leans into the Lord. And you think about that position. I don't know if you've ever, ever climbed a hill. Most of us have. But when you climb, you have to kind of lean into it, don't you? You have to kind of lean forward and lean into it. Especially The steeper it is, the more you lean. And Nehemiah said, I'm going to lean into the Lord. And what you find is a push through. He finds strength in the fullness of joy. Out of that joy came a strength to push through the pain. This is really encouraging for us to know. That someone who walks in blessedness, what God wants for us is to be blessed with the abundance of joy. Because a person blessed by God will continue up the hill even, even when their legs are burning. Amen? Last week I told you the story, I uh, told some of the story of how my wife and I and, and several other families went to Montana and climbed the Beartooth Mountains and, and camped for about a week. 
and, uh, and how Melissa and I and one other guy had the, the biggest packs. Ours, mine was like 100 pounds. His was 100 pounds. I'm not kidding. It was that much. Melissa had way more than all the girls, probably 50 or 60 pounds. And we had to actually make that trip twice because a couple of the people were older. They couldn't carry their own packs, even though it only weighed like five ounces. And so <laughs> we get to, I told you this story. We went to the top of the little peak. We went to the top and saw a mystic lake right there. It was beautiful. And we got the call. You need to come help these people because they can't carry their backpacks. So we put the back, our backpacks down. And only Melissa and I, I don't know if I told you, the other guy didn't. He, anyway. So <laughs> Melissa and I, Melissa and I are going down the mountain, you know, as if we weren't tired enough and we have to carry their backpacks up. And let me tell you something, it was hard. And I don't know if you know anything about climbing mountains, but there's something called altitude that can really jack with you. The air is a lot thinner. It's harder to, to breathe up there. It makes you kind of lightheaded. It actually can cause fatigue much faster. And so when you got a 100-pound back, uh, backpack going up the first time, you know, you're pretty tired. Then to go back down the second time, to be exposed back to the thick uh, altitude, then you go back up. It's like this whirlwind of like, ah. And Melissa, that's what Melissa and I had to deal with. And, you know, I thought about how, how altitude plus fatigue really equals um, uh, being dizzy. I don't know if you've ever done it, but by the time we were up the mountain again, it's like, you know, you feel like you're tripping. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's just crazy. And you feel like you can't go on and you feel like I got to sit down. I can't even go on. It's just like really weird. And that's how it is when you when you climb and you get to those heights and you're experiencing those things. But I thought about a scripture this week and, and I've memorized it a long time ago. It's Psalm 28, 7. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but it says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. And here's the part that's cool. He helps me. I mean, even if we just memorize that part, he helps me. God helps me. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. It goes on to say, I burst out in song of thanksgiving. And weirdly enough, I was reading that this week, and that burst out in song. It reminded me of, a, of another story. Um, in high school, I ran track. Some of you know that, and I ran distance. I was a middle distance, 800 miles. Sometimes I'd run the two-mile. And one time, it was at Lindell. It was the Coca-Cola Relays, and I was running at Lindell, and it was the mile, and that's the four times around the track. And I usually did pretty well, okay? But for this, I don't know if I ate something funny or what. But after the first lap, I'm coming around the finish line, and there's always coaches that, that'll kind of, they're stationed at different points, you know, for the distance runners. Come on, you can do it, you know. And so there's this one particular coach, um, Coach Lackey, actually. He was sitting there, and, and I'm going, and I'm coming across the finish line, and I'm running, and I'm like, oh, which was kind of unusual for me. I never really had that kind of stuff, but I had this weird pain in my side. And uh, he's like, Herring, what's wrong with you? Oh, coach, I got to stop. I got to stop. It hurts. It hurts. And he said, well, what's wrong with you? I, got, I don't know. It hurts. He said, it's just gas. I was like, whatever it is, I got to stop. Herring, do you want to win this race or not? Yes, yes. And by this time, he's jogging alongside me too, you know what I mean? He said, and I can't quote, (laughs) but I can paraphrase. Herring, push that thing out. He used another word. (laughs) Push that thing out and win this race. I'm like, coach, I can't. And he's... um, jogging, yelling at me. I get around the corner and I thought, I do want to win this race. I usually win this race. What if, I, what if I stopped right now? I wouldn't win this race. Not only would I stop, I wouldn't win. The race would be done. And so I get around the corner and it wasn't too much further, honestly. It was just kind of 
took his advice. You know what I mean? And I pushed, I pushed that out. Okay? And you know what? I felt so much better. And I started making up ground. You know, and I don't know if it was because I felt a lot better or maybe the people behind me were, you know, asphyxiated or I don't know what the deal was. And I thought about, you know, it was in the scripture that came to mind is in Hebrews. Most of us are familiar with it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is our aim, who is our goal, who is the prize. Amen. Who is the medal? Who is the trophy? Who is the reward? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who, and it switches and says, let me tell you his story, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him being, I want to please the Father and I want to redeem man. Those two things would bring me joy. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was way worse than some gas pains on a track. Amen? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And then look what it says. What a a great, a great reward. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You get this picture of the Olympics and how the winners sit up there on the winner stand or whatever. He's at the right hand of God. No greater place of honor in the universe. Amen? And that was his reward because why? For the joy, the strength, set before him the joy of knowing I am about to please my father and I'm about to redeem those that I greatly love. I'm going to push through this pain, and he did. And so Jesus pleased God, and he ought, think about it. He made it possible. His work on the cross made it possible for me to please God. This is a great thing. And so, in fact, that leads me to my next point. Blessedness is the abundance of joy, but blessedness is also the approval of God. One who is blessed Think about it. Jesus is is, is setting up a couple hours worth of sermon here. Blessed is, um, blessedness is the abundance of joy, or those who walk in the abundance of joy are these kinds of people. Um, Those who walk in the approval of God are these kinds of people. If you go back to Psalm 24, if if you turn there, because it's, whenever I saw this, it's not even that big of a deal, but I was really, really just blown away. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may climb the holy hill? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. And look what it says in verse 5. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord. This This is what you get when you push through the pain, when you have vision, focus, joy set before you, and you make it to the place. In fact, it says here, who may stand in his holy place. In other words, who may abide in his presence, who may be with him all the time. He who has clean hands, pure hearts, and it says, he shall, those who enjoy his presence continually, they shall receive a blessing. They will be blessed from the Lord. And it goes on to say his righteousness uh, and righteousness from God of his salvation. They will receive a blessing and righteousness. And look at that word because this is different. The other one was in, in... Matthew's in Greek, but this one's in Hebrew, basically the same thing. But there's kind of three definitions of this word that I think are important. First definition, blessed, uh, blessed just means a gift. Hey, I want to bless you. I'm going to give you five bucks. I'm going to give you a pen. I'm going to give you a pocket knife. I'm going to give you a Mercedes, you know, whatever. I want to bless you. I want to give you a gift. Another one is um, um, when someone is blessed, it means a treaty of peace, uh, peace, 
Okay, I'm, I'm blessing you. I am, I, am, um, I am striking a treaty of peace. There's no uh, animosity between us. We are at peace together, which, of course, we know that is what Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? No longer are we at enmity with, with God, Scripture says. But this third one is, is amazing. And we don't think of it this way, but it's so true. Blessing, uh, blessing when it says that, that we shall receive a blessing, it literally means the praise of God. So who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to idols or bear um, false witness or bear while what is false, who doesn't tell lies. And it says, he shall be praised by God. Or another way of saying that is he will receive the approval of God. And we know that's consistent with Scripture because it says in other places, Paul says, um, uh, what does he say? I just left my mind. Uh, when he says, uh, or maybe Jesus when he said it, he said, um, when God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, I guess it was Jesus. Well done. You are approved by God. You are blessed. You hear what I'm saying here? I don't know if we ever thought of it, that God would applaud us, that he would approve of us, that he would... In, in fact, another commentary that I read said that that word blessed, we will receive a blessing, it actually means salute. You will actually receive a salute from God. If you've been in the military, I thought about this, how, how honoring it is when someone that's... Uh, what would be the lowest rank? Lieutenant? No? What would be the lowest rank? A private. Think about when a private is walking down base, you know, and he's doing whatever it is, hut two, three, four, and he comes across what would be the highest? A general. And we've seen this in movies, and if you've been in the military, maybe you've even experienced this, but think you're walking along and you're private, and all of a sudden you see a general, oh! And what does that general do? Is he like, what's up? Or, no, you know what? That general will stop, he will turn, and he'll be like, and they'll go on about their business. Is that usually the way that works? Now think about that. That general doesn't have to do that. He's got the highest ranking thing. He can blow that guy off and go about his, you know, merry way. It's the same thing. There, there is a circumstance, there's a situation where God, the highest authority, the highest rank, will literally turn to us and salute and give us honor. Now the honor and that salute is only made possible by Jesus Christ, lest we boast. Amen? But God will salute us. He who makes it to the place, who climbs the holy hill, who, who um, doesn't lift his soul to another, clean hands, pure heart, all that, he will receive a salute from God. Isn't that cool? And just real quickly, the third thing, he said, blessedness is the abundance of joy. Blessedness is the approval of God. And the third thing, just real quick, is blessedness, or being blessed, is the assurance of faith. Most of us are familiar with 10, uh, Hebrews 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near, talking about let us come before his presence, come into his presence, approach God. Let us draw near with sincere hearts, in other words, a true desire to ascend the hill of the Lord. And then it says, in full assurance of faith, having hearts, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which is a picture of the work of Christ, what Christ has done. He has forgiven us. He's washed us clean. Um, his death on the cross, and blood and water flowed. He has cleansed us. Amen? And because of that, in fact, I want to read the NLT version 
Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. Let us go up the holy hill of the Lord. Let us stand in His holy in the holy place. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. One of the most difficult things for believers today is to walk in the assurance of faith. To truly hold on to those foundational truths in Jesus Christ. That's why in Hebrews 6 it says, man, you've got to move on from these foundational truths. Not that you leave them behind, but you don't just focus on them all the time. Like, you should be okay. You should be um, totally clear that Jesus has washed you clean with your blood, that you have received forgiveness, that your sins have been separated you, uh, from you as far as the east is from the west. Not that you move on to forget it, but you move on to deeper um, realities and truths of the Lord. But, but we have a hard time making it past the assurance of faith, the fact that, uh, and we're, that we're assured of His love, he loves us. He loves us. No matter what, it's unconditional agape. He loves us. Yeah, but I screwed up. But he loves you. Yeah, but I failed. But he loves me. He loves you. Assurance of his work. What he did on the cross really did work. Which means that you don't have to work so hard. Just believe. Just have faith. The assurance of faith. It doesn't mean that you don't do things. But it just means you don't work yourself to God. You get to God and do great works. Amen? The assurance of faith. And the other one is the assurance of of our gifts that he gives us. The gifts that come from his throne, from his presence, the benefits, the way David said it. Forget not his benefits. In other places, he says the pleasures of God, things that we get to enjoy because God wants to give it to us. Like, are we going to be assured of those things? Well, I don't have any spiritual gifts. Yes, you do. Who told you that? Well, I mean, I just don't believe it then you're not assured of something foundational. You've been given something by God that you can minister to Him, minister to yourself, and minister to others. That's foundational. If you don't believe that, then there's, like, there's a big chunk out of your faith. Amen? Assured of His grace, assured of His mercy, assured of His forgiveness, all of those things. And um, I want to end with a statement. Blessedness comes... Not from the shifting sands of circumstance, but from a rock-solid relationship with Him. Being blessed, being someone that, that fits the description right there in the Beatitudes that we're going to start going over starting next week, someone that is blessed, blessed, a blessed person, is someone or that comes from, not from shifting sands of circumstances. In other words, my happiness depends on what's going on. Even happiest doesn't quite define the fullness of joy, right? The, the uh, abundance of joy. But it comes from a rock-solid relationship with the Lord, which is, encompasses all these abundance, joy, approval of God, assurance of faith, and I'm sure a hundred more. But this is a good place to start, Amen. We're going to start going through the, these Beatitudes. It'll take a few weeks. And then we're going to move on to the other things in the Sermon on the Mount. But listen, we've got to understand that Jesus, want, he went up that hill. It says his disciples followed him. And what he had in mind was for all his disciples. Then, now, later, forever, to follow him up the hill to the place where God's glory dwells. The place where we, we, we experience the wonder of who he is and the wonder of what he gives. Amen? That's what he wants. And he starts with a kind of another picture of that. I want you to be blessed. 
I want you to walk in blessedness. I want you to have um, a strength that comes from an abundant joy. I want you to um, experience my approval. I want you to know that I love you, that I like you, that I'm for you, not against you. All the things we sang about this morning. And I want you to be assured that these things are real and these things are true. And sometimes we waver. But we don't have to. Amen? Would you guys stand with me?